Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Well, look who's here as we have the trumpets standing in the background ready to give him a fanfare, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? I'm good, good. A little cold out there, a little bit of snow, a little bit of wind, but hey, it's Idaho. How was the weather uh, on the way over? Oh, it's not bad, you know. I mean, when you live here, you get kind of used to being able to drive on a little snow. Sure. So it's okay. And occasionally, you know, a little trip to the barrel pit never hurt anybody. <laughs> well, I've I've been there, too. <laughs> yeah, me, too. Uh, what are we going to talk about? Well, uh, let's go to 1855 okay. to California, and we're going to start off. We're going to talk about a guy by the name of Rattlesnake Dick. Okay. Okay. All right. So here we go. So, How did they come up with some of these I, nicknames? I don't know. Well, actually, this we may get to that. Okay. We'll see. All right. So San Francisco in 1855 uh, was one of the wickedest cities in the world. It was steadily growing worse. It had become the mecca for thieves and murderers from every country on earth. Gee, how some things never change. <laughs> with many of the courts, the city government, and the police department controlled by thugs. No honest man dared walk the streets unarmed by the street. Spring of 1856, the crime in the city had become so bad that the honest citizens banded together and formed the famous Vigilance Committee. Vigilante? Yeah. They call it Vigilance Committee. Yeah. Uh, And I've heard that term before, too. But anyway, the criminals were rapidly rounded up and tried for their crimes. The worst of them were hanged. Many of them were sent to prison. Thousands of them were driven from the city by fear of punishment. So there were a lot of bad guys there. Who were the... So-called judges and jury. Uh, the Vigilante Committee, the really? Vigilance Committee. They, the, yeah. Now, unfortunately for Wells Fargo, a lot of the most desperate criminals were driven into the mountains, where there was little or no law, but a lot of Wells Fargo stagecoaches carrying, obviously, treasure boxes with gold, uh, because that's what was going on in California. Now, the stage holdups had uh, been no novelty in California, but up until the uh, Vigilance Committee drove the big-time criminals out of San Francisco, most of the holdups were small. Carried out by maybe a single robber. Uh, the one exception had been the short-lived Real Foot Williams gang. Okay, Real Foot. I'm going to talk about him in a little bit. So in 1852, Real Foot had organized a gang of young tough guys, and the smartest among them was a guy by the name of Rattlesnake Dick. Well, they held up the Nevada City stagecoach, robbed it of the express box containing about $7,500, and took off toward the mountains. Well, the sheriff of Yuba County promptly swore in a posse. They picked up the trail of the bandits. They ran them down. Three of the gang were killed. Others were captured and jailed. But Real Foot and Rattlesnake Dick escaped. Okay, so they made it. They went to San Francisco, and they kind of disappeared for a while. Mm-hmm. All right? Now, Rattlesnake Dick, his real name is Dick Barter, and he was born in Quebec, uh, the son of a British Army, Army officer. At 17 years of age, he ran away from home, joined the California Gold Rush. He was kind of a tall, handsome, smart guy, kind of like you and I, Zeb. Uh, yeah. Crack shot, <laughs> crack shot with either a pistol or a rifle. 
Okay. That still leaves me out. <laughs> well, me too, really. And for a short time, he's prospected unsuccessfully at a place called Rattlesnake Bar. And I think that's where he oh, picked up the name Rattlesnake I see, did. I see. But then he fell in with a crowd of rough uh, young miners. He became their leader and was given, like I said, the name Rattlesnake Dick. He had been leader of a rough crowd long before he was arrested for horse stealing and was convicted and sent to the penitentiary. Well, soon after, it was discovered that he was not guilty of being a horse thief, so he was released and went to a place called in Shasta, California, which is up you know, north. Yeah, I've been there. Northern California. Yeah. Uh, to make a fresh start. But the name of Rattlesnake Dick the Horse Thief kind of followed him, his reputation. And honest people wouldn't have anything to do with this guy because because of that. So unable, unable to make a living, Dick decided to earn the reputation for thievery that had been unjustly given to him. And it was soon after that that he joined Real Foot's gang. Okay, so now they're together. Did you ever wonder back in the old days, uh, employment for jobs wasn't anywhere what it is today? They didn't have many options. They didn't. They didn't really. There was not a lot of things to do. And if you weren't a cowboy, that limited you, you know, unless you wanted to be a miner or something like that. Yeah. But the, the speed with which Real Foot's gang was run down and broken up taught these guys a lesson they did not soon forget. So gang robbery was too dangerous. It was a lot easier to follow a posse, or for a follow, posse to follow the trail of a gang than a single man. So then, too, if a member of the gang were caught, it was always the danger that he would sing, you yeah. know, to save his neck and give away the name of everybody else in yeah, the gang. really. So on the other hand, it was reasonably safe for a highwayman to make a stick up alone. There were thousands of places along the mountain roads where he could lie in hiding until the stagecoach pulled slowly up like a steep, narrow spot in the road where he was slowed down. Uh, there was no chance for the driver to whip his team into a dash for safety, and regardless of how brave and watchful a guard might be, he was always at a disadvantage. Now picture this, Zeb, he's up on a high seat beside the driver, a perfect target for a bandit, mm-hmm. uh, so he really has no way to hide. That's He's right. sitting up there. So often his first warning of holdup was the sight of a double-barreled shotgun aimed at his head. And beyond this, there was usually passengers in the stagecoach, and the highwaymen knew that guards were instructed to give up their treasure boxes before endangering the lives of their passengers. So that was the priority. Don't endanger the passengers. You know, you were talking about the strong box on right. the stages. Uh-huh. The other night I was watching an old, old, it was made in 1939, Western movie, black and white, okay. uh, barely a talkie, and they were the most original. They threw down the strong box, and it was exactly the small size that you were talking that we about. described, yeah, yeah. So anyway, there was no need for more than one man uh, in pulling up a holdup until... Uh, Wells Fargo established his detective force. Now, the robber's risk of being killed or caught was, you know, kind of slight, but often the highwayman himself was never seen by those he robbed. With only his gun barrel showing through a clump of uh, brush or chaparral, he would shout, like we've always said, throw down the box. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, it was thrown down, and soon, uh, as it struck the ground, the robber shouted to drive on. You know, get it going. And the driver had no choice but to do as he was told, and he took uh, took a brave guard to climb down and go back to fight out alone with the bandit. So as long as he was alive, he was just going to keep it going. So well hidden in the brush, the highwayman had been known to follow for a mile or more a stagecoach that he had robbed and uh, take a shot at the guard uh, if they started to stop and leave his seat. 
uh, that kind of encouraged him to uh, maybe we'll just head on, a, uh, yeah. you know, to the next stop. Yeah. So with the treasure box in the road and the stagecoach uh, driven beyond rifle range, the robber's task was easy. He had only to smash the lock off the box, lift out the gold pouches, and slip into the chaparral. If he was careful about leaving tracks, he could not be trailed. And if he were smart enough to keep from getting drunk and doing a little bragging, he could soon be spending his money freely. I got a dumb question for you. Why weren't there more stories, perhaps, about the passengers inside the coach that might have had revolvers or rifles just unloading on one bandit? You know, I thought about that, but I also thought if they did that, uh, you know, there's chances that the, that uh, robber would shoot right into the t- stagecoach. And I think they just thought, uh, you know, okay, give them the money and let's get, get on our way. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. So, and that, there probably were a few occasions when the passengers did did uh, stick up for themselves, basically. Anyway, uh, so the robber had only to disappear for a few days, then show up in some mining town with a tall tale of having struck a rich sandbar. And gold dust was gold dust, and stolen dust looked just like the same as any that you might have got out of a stream. And often the highwayman deposited the gold in a Wells Fargo bank, the bank, very bank he just robbed, <laughs> or the state company he just he robbed. He went right back and put the money in the well, same bank? probably after a while. Oh, my. Yeah, he, he would have waited a while, you know. But anyway, following the breakup of Realfoot's gang, Rattlesnake Dick remained in San Francisco for about three years. He just kind of stayed hidden. And for a short while, he held up stagecoaches alone. But he was a natural leader of men and was soon the head of the first successful gang in the West. Now, Dick's first big strike and the one that brought him fame was $80,000 robbery of a Wells Fargo mule train. Now, you've heard of robbing stagecoaches, but this is a mule train. I'm going to describe that. Now, the messenger and the guard chosen by Wells Fargo to take this large shipment from the mountains, this $80,000 of gold, uh, to Shasta City. These were brave and well-experienced. They knew the manner in which lone high women made their holdups, and they were careful to guide against it. Now, to move such a big shipment by stagecoach, even though there were no passengers to be protected, would be too risky. So... It was decided it would be safer to move it by mule train. All right. The gold dust weighing a little over about 300 pounds could be divided between two mules, but they would take eight or ten mules in this uh, mule train. And with the messenger at the front, the guard of the mule train, and the other guard at the rear, a high woman would have little chance of getting the gold. Really? Now. An extra precaution, uh, as an extra precaution, the messenger chose mules that knew the trail well and were from a corral in Shasta City. All right. Now, to ensure secrecy, they were saddled before dawn in a corral guarded by well-trusted Wells Fargo men. Each pack saddle was exactly alike, and to keep the weights equal, the gold was placed in the center of two packs, sand in the center of the others. So if you got this, you got ten mules, but only two of them are par- carrying the the gold. Okay, then the train of mules was put onto the trail without halters or bridles. They weren't being led. Oh, now, they weren't. No. Now this would make them difficult to catch, and if they were stampeded, they'd run straight back to their home corral carrying the gold with them. So there, there was some real thought behind this. So the string of sweating mules plodded slowly up a steep trail, and suddenly a deep voice from the brush yelled, Hold up! 
and both the guard and messenger swung in the direction from the sound had come, and instantly each was challenged from behind. Uh, the bandits leaped into the trail, shouting and stampeding the mules. The mules returned to their home corral, but the gold was gone from the packs. So somehow they managed to catch the mules, get the ones that had the gold, and they were able to get the gold. No kidding. So Sounds like an inside job. <laughs> who knows? Well, Wells Fargo rushed its best detectives to the scene of the robbery, but they couldn't find a single footprint uh, that led away from the spot, and the highwayman had just disappeared. So now it's 1856. Uh, there's another express that was robbed of 26000 by a gang. It'd been, And they figured it had been pulled by, they, they started calling them the Mule Train Gang. And again, no trail was left behind. So Wells Fargo would not quit. It said every agent uh, watched in the mail for any suspicious-looking letter or an unusual deposit of gold dust. So they were they were watching, you know. Now, a clue was picked up from an intercepted letter, and it was traced to a hideout. A posse was gathered, the hideout surrounded, and a battle was fought. Rattlesnake Dick and three members of his gang were captured. Okay. Now, Rattlesnake Dick escaped from jail, reached San Francisco, and disappeared. Again. Again. Oh, Big city. Now, Dick himself was never a rowdy, and it is doubtful that he himself actually took part in all of these holdups that his organization pulled off. So he was kind of the main guy, but he would uh, figure out how to do things, then send them out. Okay. So that's not a bad way to, to run a business, right? So Dick actually was not only handsome, brilliant, and exceedingly quick in action, but possessed a remarkable personal magnetism. He always dressed and spoke like a gentleman. He had hundreds of friends, and, you know, given the amount of money he had, that that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But it's claimed that there were more than 50 members of Rattlesnake Dick's gangs. So Yeah, so he would have these groups go out, and he would organize them, and maybe send three or four here and five or six there to do different things. And he actually set up a system of signals and passwords so that, you know, they knew who were gang members and who weren't. So for three years, the war of wits between Rattlesnake Dick and Wells Fargo went through central California and up into northern California. But he would send a gang of his men to stage a mock gun battle in town. While the sheriff and his deputies ran to stop the battle, Dick's gang would pounce upon the bank. Now, that's kind of a smart diversion, don't you think? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, the uh, sheriff's down at the other end of town, and we're going to rob the bank that's the other end. So, it's known that the gold from some of the biggest holdups was actually buried. So, he buried gold that probably is scattered throughout central and northern California. Still? Yeah. Yeah. Because these guys would get killed off or not oh, make it back. My. But no one knows how many holdups were made by Rattlesnake Dick and his gang. There was probably more than... Uh, or maybe some of the he was attributed to that he didn't do. Yeah. Now, although he and his gang had got away with more than $100,000 that had never been recovered, Wells Fargo was tightening the loop around them. Now, Rattlesnake Dick, as I mentioned how he dressed, he was kind of a proud guy, all right? And he still had confidence in his own ability to outwit or outshoot any sheriff or Wells Fargo man in California. So picture this. It's 8 o'clock in the, uh, in the evening, July 11th, 1859. He rode through the main street of Auburn, California with a member of his gang. Okay? 8 o'clock in the evening. There were posters offering rewards for both of them. 
dead or alive, and these were tacked to buildings all around town on the street that he's nonchalantly riding down with his buddy. Hmm. So they made no attempt to disguise themselves, and they didn't hurry. Dick was carefully dressed, as always. His whole manner was to dare anyone uh, who wanted trouble. So this guy by the name of George Martin, he was the exception. He rounded up two deputy sheriffs, a guy named Johnson and another guy named Crutcher. They saddled their horses. By now, uh, Rattlesnake and his buddy are out of town. All right. Okay. So he rounds up these two uh, posse guys, and they uh, gallop out of town on the road taken by Dick and his partner. About two miles out, they saw the two riders just jogging along in the moonlight. Now, Johnson, who was riding in front of Martin and Crutcher, shouted, Halt! Hands up! Now, Rattlesnake Dick turned in his saddle. He called back, What's wanted? But he didn't wait for an answer. The words were barely out of his mouth before there was a flash from his pistol. Uh, uh, And in the semi-darkness, this was kind of an amazing shot, the bullet cut Johnson's bridle reins in two and shattered his left hand. Wow. All right. At almost the same moment, there was a second shot, and Martin, the other posse guy, was shot out of the saddle stone dead. Wow. Now, Johnson and Crutcher fought back, shooting as best they could in the moonlight, but without reins, Johnson couldn't control his horse that was jumping and jumping around. He had a problem. He had a problem. And when the other guy's gun was empty, they had to quit the fight, yeah. obviously. Now, Rattlesnake Dick and his uh, man had ridden on as though nothing had happened. They just kept on a moseying down the trail. This was the last exhibition of Dick's pride and courage. Early the next morning, his body was found at the roadside more than a mile from the scene of the fight. Two bullets had passed completely through his body, and both of them had struck vital organs. And it's pretty much unbelievable that any man could have ridden so far after receiving two bullet wounds, either one of which should have been fatal. But Rattlesnake Dick had been kind of an unbelievable man from the time he was 17. And again, kind of a proud uh, leader of... Uh, and I think pretty smart for the most part, except riding right through the middle of a town where his posters uh, describing him, uh, you know. Let me ask you a question about that. Now, I know that the Old West had a lot of wanted posters, wanted, dead or alive, and then the name. But how did they tell who was who? That is a great question because... You know, they didn't have cam. Well, they did have cameras, but in order to have a, a, a picture of the guy, it had to be just taken from people who saw him yeah. or knew who he was. And these artists' conceptions as to what they look like, they used on wanted posters before cameras. Yeah. And certainly they couldn't have been very accurate. That's true. And there probably was a few guys that were hung uh, uh, as, uh, you know, uh, yeah, they, they weren't the right guy, but uh, they may have been shot and killed. You and, know, you were talking about shooting until they ran out of ammunition. Yeah. The other night I was watching the movie The Sons of Katie Elder okay. with John Wayne. Yeah. At the end of the movie, when John Wayne's going after the guy, the bad guy inside of uh, a building, 
count how many shots John Wayne gets out of his six shooter. <laughs> yeah, you get about fifteen or twenty. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. Uh, you know, he probably had a spare gun somewhere, right? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> so that's the story of Rattlesnake Dick. Uh, I'd never heard cur- of him. Yeah, curse of the Wells Fargo Company, and one of the smarter bandits, really. I think yeah. you know, and he knew enough to go into San Francisco and just kind of stay hidden for you know three years at a time before he resumed his occupation. But most all of them met their demise. They did. Most of them at one time or another. They uh, ended up at uh, six feet under or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, and the vigilante committee, they didn't care. You know, uh, I know we've got just, what, a minute left. Yeah. Uh, not very far from here, up uh, towards the Sun Valley area, there was a vigilante committee that uh, caught a guy red-handed. Uh, I can't remember if he's a horse thief or something, but they were going to hang him. But there weren't any trees over there. So they brought two wagons together, and they put the, the uh, tongues of the wagon up in the air, tied them together, and then tied the wagon so they wouldn't slide apart, and they hoisted the guy up by the tongue of the tongues of the wagon tied together, wow. and they took care of business very efficiently. You know, did you ever watch the movie uh, uh, Lonesome Dove? Yeah. I think the hanging scene in that movie is probably the most realistic and gruesome. Yeah. Well, to me, the most gruesome one was when they uh, hung uh, Blackjack Ketchum, yeah. and they had the rope a little too long. And when he hit the end of the rope, his head popped off. Well, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that would be very disconcerting, that I understand. Would be. I appreciate you coming by on a... Well, right now, it doesn't look too bad outside, does no, it? No, it'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah nice not day. Doctor History is always welcome on this program. We really appreciate everything he does, and uh, he'll be, you'll, you'll be here next week? Yep, I'll be here. We'll look forward to it. Doctor History. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.